getting into retirement and deciding, hey, I don't have enough money. I know there are certain institutions of personal finance that say, hey, you got to up the risk profile to, to make up the difference. I've never been a buyer of that logic. The assumption is that you're going to get a higher return if you take more risk. We're not proponents of that. We don't believe that. Over 56% of Americans don't feel like they're on track to retire comfortably. And it's no surprise. Retiring with confidence is not as simple as it used to be. That's why each week we talk about the many challenges of modern retirement and share some of the best strategies for overcoming each and every one. So that you can make sure you're putting your hard-earned savings towards the retirement of your dreams. I'm Brandon. And I'm Brantley. Welcome to Retire With Confidence. For more, be sure to visit retirewithconfidencenow.com. The first thing we wanted to talk about today, when we were sort of brainstorming for ideas about content, what sort of videos could we produce for you that we would actually add some value to your life? We thought we'd start sort of high level generic. We'll, we will get very specific over time. And uh, we've been accused of, of being a little um, in the weeds uh, with certain topics, and we probably will get there. So for those of you who are more into the technicalities and the number crunching, don't worry, we got you. Mm -hmm. uh, today is probably not one of those days. Uh, we're going to talk more generically. We're going to talk about the six things that retirees regret purchasing that could have saved them more than $100,000. So we want to start with a list? Just jump right in? Yeah, let's just dive in. All right. Number one is cars. 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 It's it's a it's a fun subject. Lots of people like them. Lots of people like buying them. Lots of people like yes. talking about them, talking about buying them. And there's 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 a lot of way car purchases can can sort of get you sideways in retirement. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times that people make decisions about car purchases that they come to deeply regret. Um, I think there's a lot of non-retirees who have car purchases they regret. <laughs> yeah, but um, sure. they're they're a discussion for a different day. So, uh, in my eyes, I think it kind of breaks into three typical categories with regards to the potential pitfalls that come up um, on the subject of retirees and their car purchases. So we'll we'll break them into three and we'll talk about them. Um, the first one that I think we've both seen happen a number of times. And every time it's kind of like the slow train wreck. You see them getting ready to do this and it's like, no, um, it's, it's the, it's let's, let's set the stage. It's the person who's probably had a car payment for the majority of their life. Right. Like they go out, they buy a car, they have a car payment and maybe they pay it off and keep the car for a little bit, but then when they buy a new one, they got to have a car payment. And right. I'm not trying to say car payments are good or bad. Um, I mean, Personally, I've not had one for quite some time. So I, I, I get the virtue of wanting to be in a position where you don't have one. Yes. Um, but I you got to weigh that. Yeah. You got to weigh that against the affordability of it, especially when it comes to retirement. So I can't tell you the number of times I've seen people get to retirement. They got their 401k, their IRA, whatever it is. And they've got a lump sum of money. And they say, you know what? I need a car and I'm sick of car payments. It's bad. I don't want one. Everybody tells me it's best if I, if I just pay with cash. So right. we're going to liquidate the 401 or we're going to liquidate a portion of the 401k and we're going to pay with cash. And mm -hmm. that's what they do. And it's, it's, it's not that it's a bad idea, but when you get to retirement, you're now going to be managing a sum of money, probably larger than anything you've ever managed before. Yes. And you have to think strategically about what the objective of those dollars or those assets, whatever you want to, however you want to think about it, is. And we're going to argue quite forcefully throughout the entirety of this podcast that income generation is the paramount uh, focus for right. retirement assets. It, sh it should be your major objective. Yep. Yeah. 
when people decide willy nilly, I'm just going to take out money from my 401k. I'm going to take $50,000 out to buy a new car. Yep. I'm going to buy my car and, um, right. and that's going to be that. Um, it, it, it definitely puts them at a bit of a potential disadvantage because they've removed a, a chunk of money from their 401k or whatever it is that could have been income producing assets that right. would have given them a lot more peace of mind yes. had they approached it from that, that perspective. Uh, throw a couple numbers at people just because. Um, average car purchase right now in the United States, $45,000-ish. Average crazy. new car purchase. That's crazy. If, if you're going to go pay with cash, you're going to buy the average new car, that's what you're looking at, at, right. at doing. So most people don't think much about the fact that $45,000 is a car purchase, but you need extra money to pay for taxes. Right. So, you, you mean, so, so you're referring to if you take $45,000 from your 401k, mm -hmm. you're going to owe taxes. Yep. On that. That's, on uh, that and we're not even, we're not talking about if you're 57. We're talking about if you're 66. So in yes. other words, there's no 10% excise penalty for right. being under 59 right. and a half. You just have your ordinary income taxes that would be due. That's right? correct. Okay. So $45,000 withdrawn from your 401k. Let's assume that you're, you're, you're 25% tax bracket. Yep. If that's the case, you need $60,000 in order to net that 45,000 bucks to right. pay for the car. Right. So it's an extra $15,000 that you're going to need to withdraw in order to pay for the car and then pay the tax bill that will be due when you file your taxes the following year. Right. Now, right. Um, again, we don't like car payments. We don't want to pay interest. And interest rates are, are, are on the rise. So that, that old school mentality is coming back in a big, big way right yeah. now. But follow my logic for just a second here to, to contemplate a different strategy that may put you in a better place. So average interest rate for a new car purchase according to bank rate is 6.63% right now. Now, mm. I get not everybody's going to get that rate, but let's right. just use that number for, for very this purpose. Few, very few people, according to statistics, will get that let's, rate. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go with that. Right. So 6.63 as an interest rate on a five-year loan, $45,000 purchase, you're looking at about $883 a month as a car payment. Right. Which means after five years, you will have paid just under $53,000 all in for the car. Mm -hmm. That's less than $60,000. Right. So think about that for a second. It'll come to you. Like trying came, to save you money. Like it came to me. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I should probably not eat my microphone. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is just an example of the way that we think about things, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, let's do the math. Yep. Simple math. Online calculators can help you do all of these these calculations very quickly. And you'll you determine that while paying cash means you don't have any payments, the net cost of financing actually is better than mm -hmm. if you were taking money out of a 401k. Now, if you just had it sitting in a savings account, there's no real gain on the money. Different math, yes. Different math completely. Completely. All right. So let's move on to the to the next related, related. Yep. Paying off the loan. So you get to retirement, you got a uh, loan on your car and you're, you're just sick of it. You're of the opinion that once in retirement, you need to not have debts or whatever sure. it is. Sure. So we're just going to, again, take a big lump sum out of the 401k and pay off the loan. Same principles apply here. Yes. And right now, practically speaking, for a number of people who bought a car a few years ago and are probably at like a, I don't know, 2% loan rate, um, that, that example that I just used becomes even more dramatic yes. with respect to what you might be saving by virtue of continuing to just pay the loan and yeah. not take extra money out of a 401k. Right. So don't get emotional 
about the desire to just not have debt. Yes. Because there may be a legitimate reason to carry it that actually saves you money because it's not going to create this big tax burden for you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to hammer on a little bit. The number of people who really do not realize what it costs in taxes to take additional withdrawals from a retirement account. It's, I, We've said we've done this for years, and it's it's even a little tripping for for me at times to think about. Well, all right, if we got to take this much out, that means we got to set that much aside to deal with. It's 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 annoying. Yeah, and there are lots of times you don't, and you have don't to know exactly with. what that number is either. By the way, until you no, no. <laughs> until you do your tax return, you're right. You don't because there's other things that may stack on that may even make the the liability higher. That one was easy and quick. Let's let's get to the third piece of the car <laughs> side, which is the luxury purchase. Um. This one, this one's going to get all sorts of finger wags from your typical financial guru. Um, I, I, I'm going to tell good, you good that thing we're not typical, yeah, or I, gurus I, for that matter. So, <laughs> so we got that going for us. I'm going to tell you that there's 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 a lot of things that I know I've personally done in my life where it's like, oh, I've arrived at the point where I can afford this other thing, so I buy right. it and realize that, oh. Uh, <laughs> There are other costs they didn't mention in the brochure. Um, so, <laughs> what do you mean the sales guy didn't tell you about all that? No, and and you know, fancy cars mm. have fancy things. Yep, and they tend to be a little princessy when it comes to maintenance. Yep, and there's a number of things that you're probably just not thinking about if you spend all your life driving a Toyota Corolla. Yep, because the things never break and they don't need much for maintenance. I I I, uh, I want the people who are watching this to to understand that we're speaking from the perspective of people who have actually made this mistake. So, Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're not just making this up. Um, I think you and I have both had what would be considered luxury cars. I'm not sure by the time we owned them that they were luxurious anymore, (laughs) but, but I know that we've both had expensive cars. What you really have to think about with that is how expensive was the car when it was new? Yeah. That's, that's one of the mistakes that I learned the very hard way, having bought a luxury sedan some years ago and then finding out, well, actually the tires for this car that you, that you have to buy are only made by two different brands and we have to order those and they're $400 a piece. Mm. Um, or, uh, I think one of the things that we talked about, uh, before this was, and it only takes 93 octane, um, yep. fuel. Uh, insurance is more, uh, all of the maintenance costs are, uh, I have a very good friend who only buys European expensive European cars, but his, his method of doing so is you always have to sell it before the factory warranty expires because Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't want to be paying for the $4,000 air conditioner evaporator replacement or whatever. Just speaking from personal experience of what, what I, what I had. And, And I think you've had some similar experiences there. So yeah, well, the, the the other one that comes up in this the same category is the the fun car, right? Right, like like ooh, we're gonna buy the convertible, yeah, and we can we can afford it. The price doesn't seem that bad, sure. But then there's the oh, now we have to expend we have to spend money on having an extra car, which means all the things that we pay right. for for things like maintenance, registrations, inspections, insurance, in states where those happen, insurance, yeah. that all has to happen again. Yep. And then if you're dumb enough to buy a car like that in a state where it snows several months out of the year, you got to put it somewhere. Um, so in your backyard, I, I, it's, 
good way to make sure it doesn't work come spring. Um, so there's a lot of deceiving elements to that, that, that first time buyers are not going to think much about. Sure. And unfortunately in retirement, once you, once, once you've made that purchase, it's very hard to undo it. Yeah. And the amount of money that you will lose trying to liquidate that mistake, it like I bought the car, I didn't like it, going to sell it. You'll sure. get something, but you will end up losing money yes. on that proposition. Absolutely. 100% of the time. All right, let's let's move on. The second thing that 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 we had was buying things for your grandkids. Yeah. This one is scary subtle. Mm. Because a lot of people do this. And they do it in such a sort of baby step way that it's hard to realize just how significant they spend yeah. in a, 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 a very kind of dangerous way for their financial well-being. Right, right. Um, it's sort of like the no raindrop or no one raindrop believes it's responsible for the flood type situation. <laughs> right. Because no one is, but right. that little purchase here, that little purchase right. there, once you realize you've overdone it, it's too late. Right. And there's a lot of emotion that builds up behind this one. The thing is having kids, uh, one of the things I learned was when they're very young, when they're toddlers or infants, whatever, the things that you buy for them are relatively inexpensive. Clothing, yep. toys, they're small and they're inexpensive, but they develop a taste for, for those <laughs> sorts of things. And they get a lot more expensive as they get older. Yeah. Um, and I, and I look, I think most grandparents who do this are very well-meaning. We're not, uh, not trying to be critical of the sentiment. Nope. Um, but we, we would encourage you to think a little bit more strategically about how you spend and what you spend and maybe perhaps not buy them something small on occasions. And, and set aside, if you want to, if you want to spend a lot of money, set aside the amount that you were going to budget and some sort of account for them. Coffee can, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. it, it, even if you stuck cash in a coffee can and saved it for 18 years, it would be worth infinitely more than buying them lots of stuff. Yep. Um, that most of which they won't even have in their possession by the time they're 18. Right. So, you know, something funny happens that I've observed a timer 25 among retirees. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who, who think of that sort of, of value of a dollar thing. Right. Like who's, whose grandfather has, has yelled at them with, with a air of disdain over <laughs> your lack of, of appreciation for the value of a dollar. dollar. Right. And, and that comes from the work that goes into earning the dollar. Right. Correct. Yep. So it's funny it doesn't take a lot of space in terms of years between retirees and their last day at work. And they start to lose sight of that. Yes. Yeah. And so the value of a dollar thing kind of dissipates a lot and, and, and they, they get disconnected from it. And I think that's what leads to a lot of these style uh, uh, purchases for yeah. people. Well, it's, it's different when it's not money that's coming directly from a paycheck that you just earned. Right. It just changes your mentality. It happens. It happens to everyone. It's not. Yep. It's not unique. So, all right. Let's talk about number three. Are you on trend? <laughs> no. Are you uh, you checking I'm, out the latest latest I, craze on Pinterest? And I'm, saying, I'm not on trend, that? and I have no status. So there you go. Uh, number three is kind of the boredom category. I think mm. it's that's an it's interesting the thought. 
going after whatever the new trendy thing is, either that you see on the news, you see on social media, um, or you you see your neighbors doing. Right. And and I know some people think social media for retirees. Yeah, it's called Facebook. Um, <laughs> so, yes. This this is and, and and this again gets back to that trouble with managing the pot of money. Right. Thing. Mm-hmm. Because when when you've worked for so many years living on the budget of your income, mm-hmm. and now you're in your your reality is, hey, I've got hundreds of thousands, or maybe even a couple million dollars sitting here in in this account, and all I want to do is spend fifty thousand dollars on some solar panels. That's relatively small, right? So I got the money. Um, the issue that comes up with this is one again going back to the boredom thing. It tends to be this never ending cycle of projects. So We've you're not working. This, yeah. You're not working anymore. So you've got a lot more free time. Yep. And you know, solar panels or a chicken coop or putting in a pool or whatever. Those are all new projects to tackle with all of this this sort of energy that's not being expended going to work. Right. Which okay, I'm not saying you can't do any of it, but I think a lot of people have to seriously contemplate again. What am I going to lose in potential income producing capabilities? Because that's, that's number one. But two, what are we actually going to do with this? Right. Like if you're approaching 70 and you're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars on solar panels. Right. I understand that there's an argument that you are going to reduce your electric bill. Right. But are you ever going to reduce it enough to actually get that back? Uh, based on the calculations that you and I have run, I would say that's a hard no. Now, there are some people who are going to do it because they believe in the environmental impact and, and I, I mean, Fine. There's some unquantifiables there that I would, I mean, whatever you put the value on it is whatever you put the value on it is and you can justify it however you wish. But um, there's definitely going to be a, a hit to overall financial stability if you choose to make dec- uh, purchases like that. We should enter this caveat here. We probably should have done this earlier, but hey, we're, this is the first episode. If you've got $5 million liquid, I mean, $5 million in retirement accounts, savings accounts, investment accounts, whatever, life insurance, cash value. If aggregated together, you got $5 million of cash, Mm -hmm. go get yourself some solar panels. It's totally fine. (laughs) I mean- If, if, if your income needs or something like- Well, if your income's, if your income- If your income need is a million bucks a year, then you're in trouble. We're talking more generally about the people that we encounter. Yeah. The people that we've talked to over the years- of course, we've talked to some people where they could do whatever they want. There was no no particular issue. They, did, they didn't have to live under the constraints of a budget, per se. But most people do. Um, the, the average retiree out there who's got something south of a million dollars in retirement accounts and, and, and brokerage accounts, which is very common, making these sorts of major expenditures can really break your future income needs, I guess. Is the so glad you it. said that. So glad you said that because I was about to make the comment that we're halfway through the list right now. Yep. And we we mentioned regretful expenses that cost a significant amount of money. And um there's there is a a quantifying that that I want to get to, but I wanna I wanna get through the rest of the list first. And sure. then we'll absolutely we'll put the bow on it with that. Yep. Um but that's a very good good point to bring up at this this juncture to say, you know, there's risk that it puts to your financial security, but there's an expense to all of this taxes we already covered, but there's another expense that we've already kind of touched on that is very, very important to think about. Um, but before we get to that, let's let's run down the rest of the list. Okay. So number four. Number four is those with wonderlust. Mm. 
the traveler, right. and more specifically, the luxury traveler. Oh, we're, we're not talking about weekends at the Pocomo or anything I, like that. I mean, <laughs> the good people of Maryland are going to hate us. Um, so, Someone out there, get that reference, please. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's going to be a certain degree of people who work for years and say, hey, I've always wanted to go. Wherever. Sure, of course. And... And they're going to. I really want to stay in that grass hut over the water in Fiji at the Four Seasons or or, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um, I do too, by the way. But (laughs) look, I I, I, I get it. We're talking more about the ones who decide that's what we're going to spend our retirement doing. And it's a very expensive proposition. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's especially expensive if you've got kind of a Ritz Carlton type lifestyle when it comes to travel. Yeah. I don't know what the the Fairfield Inn equivalent is in in Munich. I don't want to know. I mean, I suppose that could be a way to do it at a at a reduced cost. Right. But most people don't do that. Yeah. This one it, it, again can add up on people because yeah. no one trip is going to seem that extraordinary right. most of the time. Especially but, you and I know from from doing a fair amount of traveling, uh, it's it's not the stay that gets you. It's mm-hmm. all the stuff. I mean, you yep. got to eat while you're yep. there. Yep. You know, it's, it's all the extra stuff that you spend money on because the, the stay itself, you know exactly what that's going to cost you before you go. So there's no big, there's no big surprises. I can't speak to it because it's been, been a few years, but I learned very quickly that salads at the ABC store in, in Honolulu, that was <laughs> the cheapest way to uh, take care of several meals throughout the day. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you, I mean it's that's it's it's the cost of getting there but also the cost of of staying there. Right. Um that can really really add up. Um and the thing about travel and maybe this is coming from somebody who looks at travel kind of personally, but memories they have a certain sentimental value to them. Mm-hmm. But from a retirement safety perspective, there are other things that you could be doing that may make you much, much more comfortable and happy. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the big thing is, is travel is fine. Just be judicious about how much you spend while you're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, for most people, gosh, I've seen some, some people take some really great trips on, on very low budgets because of things like, um, I can, I can remember my grandparents in particular taking a, a couple of great trips because my grandfather's had traveled for work mm-hmm. for years. So he had millions, literally millions of, of air miles. Thank um, you for saying that. Get a travel credit card. Yeah. Get one for yeah. sure. They were able to do things like fly first class to Spain mm-hmm. and, and to other parts of Europe as well. And believe you me, they were not spendthrifts. So if it could be done on a budget, it was done on a very tight budget. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, there are ways to do it. And I think th- the big thing is to plan it well in advance and don't do it too close together, I guess is the, in other words, yeah. if you go to the Maldives this year, then maybe you don't go to uh, Argentina next year. Maybe you put a couple of years in between those. And maybe you do something a little bit smaller. So number five is the saddest expense among the list. Yeah. Or it's, it's saddest purchase. Correct. And I'm, 
this one always gives me a little bit of a, a pit in the stomach kind of feel because I've seen it. And because, well, um, I mean, at least if you buy a car or you go on a fancy vacation or you buy your grandkids some stuff, uh, you get something, you get some joy out of it, at least temporarily. Yeah. But this one, this one is just full of pain. Yep. Number five is that more aggressive asset because you're a little behind. Yep. Or you're watching the market boom and you think, oh, I'm just not making enough money right now. Right. Uh, My account only made 6% advisors? last year and the S&P 500 did 18%. A lot of financial advisors who love to sell on this one. Yeah. Tell retirees, you know, you, you got to keep up with inflation. You got to do whatever. You got you to take on a little more risk. You could, you could take on a little more risk. Right. The reason this one can be so bad is because people will make this decision in a somewhat controlled environment mm -hmm. with a certain degree of logic. But the minute, and I mean the second, there's just a scent of, of risk in the air. Things get real ugly quickly. Yeah. Uh, watched a lot of people make the decision that, yep, we need to we need to get greater exposure to some riskier stuff to try to keep up with things. And then a little, little tiny, a bad day comes up mm. and they're selling everything. Yeah. At a loss. Yes. It's not good. So getting into retirement and deciding, hey, I don't have enough money. I know there are certain institutions of personal finance that say, hey, you got you to up the risk profile to, to make up the difference. I've never been a buyer of that logic. The assumption is that you're going to get a higher return if you take more risk. Mm -hmm. um, we're not proponents of that. We don't believe that. The problem is that in general, we'll, and, and, and over, over time, we'll get more specific into this, but I'm just going to make a general statement right now. What we have seen is the investment industry, the financial services industry adopt um, or probably say bastardize <laughs> academic research. Yeah. So they take academic studies looking at historical trends and averages, and then they pull it forward and say, this is what you can expect. And that's not realistic. And averages are averages for a reason. So yeah. yep. Uh, that's one of the things that we always point out to people. It's like, I realize it says it's, you know, over the last 25 years, it's done 10%. And that's really great. Unless you were one of those people who had started 10 years earlier or 10 years later and the average was only 4% and that came with, you know, right in the middle, you had a 24% drawdown um, in yep. your asset. So it lulls people into the sense of security by seeing a long-term positive average number. But the reality as it applies to individuals is completely different. Yes. And, and in addition to all of that, there's the fact that empirically speaking, people won't do it. Right. Like all that academic research assumes that you are going to be extremely disconnected from the emotional side of this. Yes. Like all, all of the academic research that was done on modern portfolio theory, which really, uh, well, not aggressively, thoroughly is the right word, establishes asset mixes that create the most efficient rate of return right. for risk profile. Right. All of it is done with the assumption that there's basically a never-ending time period. Right. Modern portfolio theory was designed for asset managers. It was not designed for, for pensions, individuals. Really, yeah. Yep. Large pension so, funds where there, there literally is no end. No. There can't be an and end. And there's <laughs> far less emotion about a bad day or right. a bad month or a bad year. So the, the, the problem that comes up with this is we, we talk about it in these very theoretical academic circles that have been published in, in legitimate 
research platforms to say, hey, this this is the consensus is this is correct. But when it comes to user operation of it, people don't do it. Right. And there's a there's a lot of emotion that gets tied into this mm-hmm. and it stops people from executing correctly and it results in in big losses. Yes. Yeah. And this is one where where a vantage point of experience is extraordinarily helpful. Because I can tell you the number of times in the early years of of my life doing this, I, I made these recommendations and got very mad when people did it and then turned course on it. Right. At the worst possible time. Right. I can't stop them from doing that. Right. It's their decision at the end of the day. Right. And and the majority of people who who are retired and take up this sort of 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 thought process, they gotta hope that things work out. I gotta hope that things work out really, really well. Um, for the next couple of years to get them sort of on board and excited and okay with it. Because if that's not the way it unrolls, they're going to do something that that disrupts this whole thing and makes them way worse off. Right. So the risk, in my experience, is not worth it. Right. And, and the last point that I'll make about this is a lack of discipline savings over time cannot be made up by taking more risk later in life. It just, right. that's that's the trap that people get into. They get to retirement or they get really close to retirement um, and they realize that they don't have near enough money put away. So they get very aggressive because they just go and look at return numbers and say, well, that's the one I got to buy because I don't have, I've only got four years or five years or whatever it is. um, And I got to make up for lost ground. So it doesn't work. Nope. It It only works on your Excel spreadsheet when you make up numbers. It works. It works incredibly well if you do that. All right. One more on the list. One more. This one, this one is arguably the most exciting. <laughs> or at least it's the one people talk about a lot. Yeah, because we're going to tell you about our new real estate course. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We've partnered with Carlton. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Nope. Real estate. Real estate. Oh, real That's estate. It's a budget buster. Hey, it's 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 one asset that always gets a pass. Yeah. It just it does. does. And to me, it has all the problems of a luxury car times 10. It's it's yeah. way more. Oh, my God. How many times have you and I had conversations just about the maintenance cost of owning a home? Mm-hmm. Owning one home. Yeah. Mind you. Yeah. Now we can talk about two. <laughs> the funny thing that happens with real estate, in my opinion, and and understand that and we've been what accused about, of hating real estate, and we don't hate real yeah. estate. What we're about to say is not at all targeted towards people who have built a career sure. buying real estate. Right. Like, if that's what you do, and you go into retirement, you decide you're still going to do some of that, Sure, that's, that's not. That's yeah, not. if you own 50 rental properties and you're uh, a, a limited partner in four different apartment complexes, we're not talking to you. No. We're talking to the person who worked in some sort of career right? and decided once they get into retirement that they're going to invest in real estate now right? because they've been, they've been spending hours in the evening lying in bed on YouTube, learning how to become a passive real estate investor. Yeah. And allow me to tell you that if that's what you think you want to do, you better be damn sure you know what you're getting into Yeah, because real estate gets very expensive very quickly mm-hmm. and it's hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredibly and, hard. And every scenario you have dreamed up in terms of timeline and return and all of those things, take all of it and double the worst case scenario because that's probably where you're going to be. 
Well, I, I think uh, a friend of mine told me one time, he, if, if you are analyzing a real estate deal and you come up with the most optimistic scenario that -hmm. you could in terms of time it's going to take to get it to the point where you're making money. I'm not, that could be a flip or that could be a rental property, whatever it is. Yep. And how much it's going to cost you to get it to that point. If you take the the time frame and double it and you take the amount of money you think you're going to make and cut it in half and it still makes sense, then you're probably on the right track. Right. So um, everything costs more and takes longer. Now, let 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 me be clear about something. I'm not saying that there will never ever be a retiree who decides that in retirement they kind of want to have a second career. Sure. And they get into real sure. estate. No. And like there's there are people who really aren't suited for retirement. Yeah. Like they leave a job they don't like mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But they're really not that interested in just spending the rest of their life watching daytime talk TV. Right. And absolutely sorting the recycling. Yeah. So they're going to find something else. And I think that's becoming more and more and more prevalent, actually, through through time. They're going to find something else. It could be real estate. It could be something else. Sure. Um, That kind of person, okay, okay. But to the person who is really looking forward to retirement in their downtime, and real estate's just one of those fun things they think they want to do for additional income, it's not going to end well. Right, right. Because remember, there are professionals out there (laughs) who are looking to compete with you. Right. And they spend every waking hour thinking about this. And sometimes it doesn't end well for them, Mm -hmm. even based on everything they know. The other thing we want to point out with real estate, we're not specifically only talking about investing in real estate. No. A a big killer that we've seen to people's uh, ability to produce income later on is second homes, vacation homes, timeshares. I mean, we could go on and on and on about those. So when it comes to to second home purchases, Mm -hmm. the stats are currently 25% of all second home purchases or second home buyers regret their purchase. Yeah. And there's a number of reasons why. Yep. And, and also the data is 50% of all second home buyers have kind of very negative feelings about how little time they actually use <laughs> yeah. those second home. Well, if you're paying for all that stuff mm-hmm. and then you're, you're rarely there. Um, you know, going back for a second to the car discussion, mm-hmm. like having the extra car, the fun sure, car. Sure. A lot of a lot of the misgivings that come up there are uh, I don't drive this thing nearly as much as I thought it was going to. Right. Yeah. So the second home, we don't go there nearly as much as we thought we were going to. Right. Now the fun car is going to be a significantly smaller expense. Yeah. To a second home. Right. Sell the second home and take your fancy vacations. <laughs> yeah. I promise you, it'll be cheaper. <laughs> it'll be way cheaper. But there's so there's so many things people don't think much about. Yeah. And then you realize after you purchased it, like. I, I live in Vermont. We covered that in the beginning. There's lots and lots of resort-like areas near me. Sure. And people buy homes as second homes here. Right. And, very and very a lot near of, you. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of people come to regret those decisions because what they discover is, well, when you lay out that kind of money for a second home, you feel kind of committed. Sure. To most of your vacation time being spent there. Right. Um, so you get to like go, to go you somewhere get to go else. to that other place where you have to do lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd like you'd like to go somewhere else, but you feel kind of obligated yeah. to go to the house that you bought yes. in Vermont. Yes. Or maybe the place that you bought, like it doesn't turn into a dumpy town, but whatever the big driver of, of tourism there kind of fades a little bit. Yep. Mm. Now that stuff may not be there and the value of your home has declined and and you're stuck with mm-hmm. it. 
Mm-hmm. So there's there's all sorts of things about owning second homes that sound really, really nice in theory before you buy it. Yeah. But a multitude of things that go wrong. Yes. And and end up costing you way more money than you thought right. was going to be the right. case. And again, if you're incredibly wealthy, this obviously does not apply to you. So, yeah. I mean, it, look, I, I've I've had some some acquaintances and some friends over time who were quite well off and had second property, second and third properties in different places. Mm -hmm. The advantage to that was they had other people to take care of those properties. So, um, and and they didn't need them to produce income. They didn't, it wasn't a rental pro, you know, it was their, their property and they had someone else to take care of it. So when they actually went to spend time at those properties, they spent time enjoying them. They didn't, Right. They weren't mowing the lawn or fixing the water pipe or whatever. Yep. So hold on, time out. I, I want to go back to that point that you just made. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make this about who can afford it, who yeah. can't afford it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I want to talk about expense. So you just said a lot of the people that you've met who have second homes, who have tended to make it work out well without the frustration that we would we'd typically see right. are people who have staff to take care of those homes. Absolutely. Think about what that oh. might cost. There's no financial justification. There's no rational right. justification that you can come up with for any of that. So you just have to have so much money that it just doesn't matter. So a little bit uh, less extreme yeah. than the second home purchase, but uh, also a big regret people have that ends up costing them way more money than, than they thought. Um, retiring and deciding now's the time that we're going to buy the super awesome forever home that we're going to keep dynastically in the family forever. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, just like fancy cars have expenses you didn't see coming, big houses, fancy houses have expenses you didn't see coming. Yes. You know, if 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 you live in a four bed, three bath home right now, mm-hmm. and you buy a six bed, six bath house, right, you start to realize that all those fixtures, mm-hmm. they they all break. Yep. And now there's more of them, mm-hmm. so the probability of something being broken is has risen dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, the surf, the surface area footage. of your roof is bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm might be higher pitched right. and, and the roof guy says, I'm going to charge you more for that. Your um, property taxes are definitely higher. Yep. Yeah. And when you got more space, it, it costs more to keep that space climate controlled so it doesn't get ruined. Yeah. So whether that's air conditioning or heating, it's. Yeah. I mean, down here in Georgia, now, now you, you, you went from probably having a, a one zone or a two zone HVAC system to a three or a four zone HV, mm-hmm. you know, cause you've got more space to cover more areas. You've got to, you've got to do that. Yeah. So. Yep which also equals higher energy costs every month. And, and in a lot of homes, after a certain point, we don't try to, to install an HVAC system that's large enough to cover the whole thing. Right. We install multiples. Right, of course. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, like you, you've got to yep. have multiples to cover. Yeah. Okay, that's the list. Those are the things. Let's, let's wrap it up. Yeah, but bring it back to you, you, you built the suspense that you were going to come back yeah. and talk about this thing. So. Yeah. So obviously there's the expense, just, just draining the account, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but we mentioned earlier that, that we feel, and we're going to spend a lot of time with this podcast talking about the importance of using your assets to generate income. Right. Because at the end of the day, once you're retired, or really any point in your life, if you have the ability to generate income with assets, you are in a secure position mm-hmm. or a stable position that is the envy of everybody you could possibly know. Right. We're not necessarily totally on board with things like the FIRE movement, but one of the things I get very right is focusing on the ability to generate passive income early on opens up a lot of opportunities for you as life yes. gets, gets going. Yes. So, perfect. Um, 
So when you get to retirement, you have a sum of money that you've saved, most likely in your 401k. Mm. You now need to take that, that sum of money and use it to live out the rest of your life. Correct. And the best way to do that with the least amount of, of stress, frustration, and anxiety is to create income with it. Mm -hmm. And there's multiple assets out there that you can use to create income. Sure. And you should be looking at all of them. And every time you take a lump sum out of your 401k to buy a car to, now I've got to look at the list before I rattle this off, um, uh, buy fancy things for your grandkids, buy trendy things like solar panels, go on that, that super spendy vacation, try to up your ante on the, on the growth because you're obsessed with just having a bigger pot of money or some fancy house, you take away some of your capacity to generate income. Right. And that compounded over the lifetime of your retirement years is an astronomical expense. Yes. We're not even talking about $100,000 anymore. We're talking about possibly millions of dollars yeah. that you have forfeited because you had to make these or you wanted to make these, these certain expenses. Right. So if you focus your attention on income generation, you may very well be able to hit a number of items on this list without much anxiety, even if it ends up costing you money that you probably could have put somewhere else. Right. But the fact that it's coming from your infinite ability to generate income makes it far, far less problematic to you than just willy-nilly, hey, we got to withdraw $100,000 from 401k to go buy this thing. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The One of the things you're going to hear from us over and over and over and over again is we believe that people should be building their asset pool to generate income and they should start doing that from the very beginning. So mm -hmm. the way that it's been talked about over the last few decades, um, and that's largely due to do with the, the, the prevalence of the 401k is that you save, 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 put all this money in this account. And then when you retire, you just take some of that money out every year to live on. And that's mm -hmm. about as about as specific as it's gotten for people. Now they've they've come up with fancy things like the four percent rule and the five percent rule and the three percent rule and whatever. Um, but that's the gist of of what it is. Our philosophy is that you should start with income in mind from day one, and yep. so that income number that you can generate right now, not waiting till you're sixty five or sixty six, should always be growing every year throughout your your working years. There's nothing to change when you get to retirement at that point. Right. Because you've already got assets that are producing income. Right, exactly. And you're likely going to have the 401k money and all those other things as well, which will give you some flexibility and some ability to do some different things. But your base income, if we want to call it that, the thing, the money you can count on just continues to roll in month after month after month. I think that's, that's good enough for number one. <laughs> Went a little longer than anticipated, but... Hopefully that's all right. We do that sometimes.